Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning. So as, as Jeff said, we are beginning a, a new book this morning. It's the second book in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of, what is it, Ark. Good, and so um, we're not going to preach every single verse in the Gospel of Mark. What we want to do is we want to choose some, I don't know, vignettes in Mark. And um, we'll preach for as long as it takes to take us to Easter. And uh, we're going to focus on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ at that point. And the reason we're doing this is twofold. One is because stable growth is one of our values. In other words, we want to be a church that is growing deeply in, in God's word. And someone came up with a very bright idea. Um, I think it was Tao. I won't mention names. And he, he encouraged us to preach through as many books uh, over the course of five years and uh, as many different genres, literary genres in the Bible as possible. And so what we're doing is we're trying to familiarize you to the entirety of God's word. Why? Because we want you to grow. We want you to grow. We want you to know what God's word actually says. So that's one reason. Another reason is this. The reason why we're looking at the gospel of Mark is because we want you to know who Jesus is. Now, the gospel, and there are four of them in the New Testament. Mark is one of them. The others are, what are they again? Matthew and Luke, that's right, we're missing one. John, thank you. <laughs> um, they, they, they were just an utterly unique literary form in that day. Nothing like it had been seen before. And, and they are descriptions of the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, when Jesus was around and for a few decades... The stories of Jesus Christ, they circulated orally. Um, there were people around, there were eyewitnesses, people who had seen things, and they could be easily verified. But as time goes on, it becomes necessary to write down the story of Jesus Christ so that there's no misunderstanding, no caricatures of who Jesus is. And so Mark picks up the pen and he writes the Gospel of Mark because he wants us to know for sure who Jesus is. Is, And so that's another reason why we're going to study the gospel of Mark, because we want to know 
and we want to grow in our knowing of who Jesus Christ is. We want to understand the gospel. Mark begins this way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel. It's a word we throw around all the time. It's a word you hear. Maybe you've heard it, but you don't know what it is. The word gospel did not start with the church. The church did not invent this word. The word gospel had been in existence for hundreds of years before Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. And it's a a word, well, it's an English word, and behind the English word is the word euangelion, which we get the word evangelism from, and it means good news. It means good news. In fact, the word gospel is an old English word, God spell, good news. So the gospel is, is good news. It is the good news. And it is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that God has broken into this world, his world, to save us from our sins and save us to himself for relationship. It's, it's the good news. And this morning, what I want to do with you is I want to ask two basic questions. Why is this gospel good news? And two, how do we receive this gospel? It's all here in our passage. First, uh, why, why is the gospel good news? Well, let's find out. All right, verse two says this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now, this is how Mark begins his gospel. The other gospel writers began their own way. Matthew begins with uh, a chronology that goes back to Abraham. Luke starts with the birth of Jesus Christ, and John starts way back at the beginning with the beginning of the world. But Mark starts with the prophet Isaiah. Actually, he doesn't really start with Isaiah. He starts with Malachi. It says Isaiah, but really that first quotation is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. Don't get worried about that. Don't get stressed out. They didn't you know, follow modern conventions of, of citation, MLA. They, just, they did things different in that day. And when somebody was quoting multiple authors, they would choose the most prominent one which in this case is Isaiah. But he's quoting from Isaiah the prophet. He's quoting from Malachi. And he's saying that a day is coming. A day will come when God will send someone into the world. And and this person will save the world from its sin. But before that happens, before, he was going to send a messenger, a messenger, a messenger who would prepare people, who would get them ready to meet with the one who would come and save people from their sins. And we meet this person at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The messenger is identified as John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He's a, he's a little strange, to be honest. He's, he's a, guy, a different kind of guy. Bit of a wild man. You know, when he shows up, he doesn't show up in Jerusalem. He's not wearing fine clothing. No, we find him wandering around in the Galilean wilderness. 
And when you think of wilderness, don't think of our wilderness in Canada with trees. This was a hot, rocky, barren wasteland. And for clothes, he's wearing a cloak with camel's hair on it, with a leather belt wrapped around him. And his diet consists of locusts and wild honey. How many of you have ever eaten locusts before? Yeah, almost like nobody. I thought about what that was like to eat locusts and, and wild honey, you know, un, uncultivated honey. Oh, the, the bites he must have got from bees all of the time. This is what he ate. Just a crazy guy in some ways. And, and yet this is the guy that God sends to prepare God's people for the coming Messiah. What's the, de- what's the deal with that? What's the deal with John? What's he doing wandering around in the wilderness, you know, wearing camel's clothing with a belt and eating what he ate? That's, it's, it's a strange. But it's not because God would often do this with prophets. He would, he would send a prophet with a message and the, and the prophet would dramatize the message, kind of do like a play would act out what God wanted to say. And so God sends, he sends John the Baptist into the wilderness. And it's as though God is sort of pulling back the curtain on our human existence and showing us our true spiritual condition. For just a moment, in the wilderness, God is showing us, us human beings, who we really are. And it's not good. It's not good. We live in a very broken world. And we know that. Do I have to prove that to you? Just Google. Top problems in the world today. Here's what you'll get. Pollution, climate change, war, displaced people, food, water, scarcity, injustice. These are not the the problems. These are the symptoms. This is the rotten fruit of the deeper problem that pervades humanity and pervades the human heart. And that problem is the problem of sin. And if we're going to understand who we are as humans, if we're going to understand this world, if we're going to understand God or anything, we have got to understand sin. We cannot neglect sin because sin is here. It's in our world and it's in our hearts. And the Bible defines sin in a bunch of ways. Many ways. It talks about transgression, about crossing a line, doing what you're not supposed to do. But that's part of it. Then there's this other part where he calls us to live up to a certain standard, but we, we don't get there. So we all sin, and we all fall short of the glory of God. There are things that we do that are wrong, and there are things that we should do that we don't do. And it's not just our actions. It's our way of thinking. It's our inclinations. It's our desires, they're all vitiated. They're all 
corroded by this thing called sin. And that's serious. And it's serious because, friends, sin is personal. What I mean is that all sin is against a personal God. David said in Psalm 51, after he had been up to no good, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, that's a problem. Because the things we do, they're not just things that we do here, and they're things we do before, before the presence, the face of a holy God who can't just pretend that sin is not a big deal. He can't just kind of dismiss it. He can't just wave his hand and say, out of bygones. He is holy. And sin must be judged by a holy God or else he's not holy. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. I don't think we like to think that we're as bad as we really are. I, I, I know myself. I like to think them better than I actually am. I'll give you a really bad example, okay? So my van has not been working well, and when I was driving it, it, I could tell the wheel was wobbling. And because it wobbled, I wobbled. The car shook. So I take it in, and they put it up on the hoist, and I'm watching two technicians, and they start to laugh. And then they pull me over and they say, and they showed me my wheel had a huge bulge in it. And it was unsalvageable. And that's us. I mean, we are so damaged by sin and it runs so deeply within us. Like there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. You're like, what's that? What's the good news there? The good news is this, that into this existence and into the wilderness of our existence, God moves. And he moves by sending a messenger. And a messenger who says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his way straight. His message is one of repentance. What grace, what grace that in the wilderness of our existence and all that sin means that God would move in and he would move in with grace, sending a messenger to prepare the way for the one and say, turn, repent, come back, turn to the Lord. It is a place of grace, it turns out. The, the, the wilderness is not just a place where we see our fallen condition, but it is the place where God loves to inhabit. And we see this so many times in the Bible where God brings his people into the wilderness where they see their desperate need for grace and where God meets them with love. The prophet Hosea who wrote to Israel many hundreds of years ago 
They were a proud people. They were a wealthy people. They had turned from God. And God said, you are going into exile. You're going into the desert. You're going where your lovers can't find you. And all the things you've used to prop yourself up will be taken away. And he says, I will allure you. And I will bring you into the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly to you. It is a blessing, friends, to have the curtain pulled back and to see this world and our human existence for what it is and then to see God heroically moving in with grace to forgive. And it's certain. It's certain. John the Baptist baptized with water. It was a baptism of repentance. I did some research on baptism this week, and I tried to find times in history where people were baptized by somebody else. I couldn't find any. It would seem that most people tended to baptize themselves. They would clean themselves with water. But here John is showing us something. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot make ourselves clean before a holy God. We must be cleansed. And John is pointing to Christ. He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but somebody will come later whose whose feet, whose sandals, I, I, I cannot even bow down and untie. He will cleanse you with the Holy Spirit. And in that day, taking someone's sandals off was reserved for, it was the lowest job, the lowest job. And Mark says, or John says, I'm not even worthy. Who is this person? Who is this person? He's no mere man. It turns out that the one to come, the Messiah, would be no mere man. He would be a man, for sure, because he wore sandals. But he would be God. He would be the Lord. John's purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the God you read in the Old Testament. Suddenly showing up wearing sandals. He is God in sandals. Because we need God to be the one who cleanses us. Only Christ qualified to cleanse you from your sins. He had to be God. He had to be God to live a perfect life. He had to be God to endure infinite wrath, which we deserve. He had to be a man to represent us before God. He had to be God in sandals, and he was. That's good news. That's the best news out there, friends. That we have, yes, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God in his mercy and grace has come into the wilderness of our existence and has made salvation absolutely sure in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Couple of, one, one application before I move to the second point. I don't think many of us like the wilderness, do we? 
We don't like having our eyes open to the wilderness. We, we don't like being brought to a place of just tremendous spiritual need. But it is a good place. It is a good place and God is a gracious God for bringing us into the desert far away from our lovers, far away from all of those divine knockoffs that we turn to, that we trust in, that we hope in for salvation, to be brought to a place where he just strips it all away. And all you're left with is you before a holy God. And to turn to this God and seek mercy and cleansing and change, that is a good place. And maybe this morning you're in that wilderness right now. Maybe you're definitely in it. But maybe you're seeing it. Maybe you're feeling it. And I would say you're in a good place. And you're not there by mistake. God has brought you there. Maybe this morning you're thinking about who Jesus is. And maybe this morning today could be the day when when God opens your eyes and you hear him speaking and calling to you in the wilderness of your life and saying, I have come for you. I've come to cleanse you. I've come to remove the sin, remove the barrier, and give you eternal life. And that's you this morning, no matter who you are, whether you're saved or not, how he loves the desert. The desert is the place where he does his most beautiful work. Be patient. But here's the question. The second question. It's this. What do we do with this gospel? What do we do with it? What do we do with this good news? How do we respond to it? That's the second thing that I want us to look at this morning. And in a word, very simply, guess. Receive it. There's a word there in our passage that John was called to preach. It's an R word. Repent. And repent. I know that's not a popular word today. It's, it's almost seldomly used, right? It's kind of fallen out of favor. It's kind of fallen out of our vocabulary. I, you know, I get it with, you know, Christianity decline in the West, but perhaps also because of angry, mean preachers who pound the pulpit and use this word as a weapon. It's just not a popular word today. I'm, I'm, I'm sad by that because it's a good word with a beautiful meaning to it. Uh, the word there behind it in the Greek is, is, is metanoia. And it simply means to change your mind. Like the gospel, the Christian church said that's a great word. They took it, they co-opted it, they redefined it. It simply means to change your mind. Repent means to change your mind. It means that you're thinking one way, and then you start thinking a completely different way. It's a completely different way of thinking. I'll illustrate. Last night, my daughter's making dinner. It's close. But I did what I sometimes do. I'm sure you never do. You know where this is going, don't you? I go to the cupboard, 
pull the chips. And uh, my daughter says to me, Dad, it's just about dinner. Don't eat the chips. So what did I do? I, I repented. I repented. I completely changed my thinking. I was going to eat the chips, and I didn't eat the chips. I waited for dinner, right? That's repentance. Now, when you think about this with God, repentance means this. You're going your way. You're doing your own thing. You're living your own life. No thought of God, just what sin, whatever. And then the word of God comes, and you go, wow, there's a God, and I live before this personal God. I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. I want to turn to God. That's repentance. It's not just turning away from something. It's turning to something. It's not just turning away from sin. It's turning to the living God to know him, to experience him, to enjoy him, to delight in him, to live for him. That's repentance. And it is gorgeous. And beautiful both. It is. I think there's a kind of repentance, though, that isn't gospel-based. It's a kind of, I don't how would you, what, like it's a religious repentance. You know what I'm talking about? It's the kind of repentance where you just tell God you're sorry so that he'll bless you and answer your prayers. You know? It's the kind where you're not really interested in a relationship so much as you are like getting the stuff from God, you know? And maybe if you say you're sorry, he'll give you what you want. Or there is within us such a deep need to be right and righteous. And maybe if I tell God I'm sorry, if I'm sorry enough, he'll forgive me. And it's miserable. It's miserable. Because so often we just have this such deep inner need to be right and not be wrong. And it's absolutely traumatizing to go to a holy God and tell him that you're sorry because your hope is not in Christ and his grace. Your hope is in your moral goodness. And do you dare to confess your sins before a holy God? When you're thinking that way. The gospel's different. The gospel says, you and I have blown it severely. And there's no fixing it. The gospel says that we have, we have blown it all the way down. I mean, we have sinned and there's nothing we can do to fix it. But Christ came into this world to cleanse us. And to forgive us from our sins. And when you turn to Christ, that is your status, forgiven, every sin. It's as though before God, when you are trusting in Christ, you have never done anything wrong. But only done what is right, because when he sees you, he sees you through Christ's perfect blood and righteousness. That's the gospel. And when that message gets into your heart... And as it gets into your repentance, you will see it not as an onerous thing, but as this delightful gift from God that he gives to us to move away from what ensnares and enslaves and brings shame 
to what is freeing and beautiful, which is God himself. Do you see that? And that, my friends, is what we're called to receive. And so how do we do this? Let's get more practical. Let's take another step, okay? On the ground, I think it looks like this. It looks like you do turn to God and you find yourself disoriented because you know you're before a holy God, but you remind yourself of who Christ is for you. And you say, God, right now I feel a little bit nervous about being here. I kind of feel the weight of what I've done. Uh, We both know what I've done. I can't fix it. I don't have to either. Christ has done it all. And it is my high right in Christ to be here, casting my sin upon you. Casting it upon Christ and asking you to forgive and asking you to deliver me and asking that I might have sweet fellowship with you again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's what we're looking for. That's the goal. And so we get ourselves around the word of God. Just like the audience that John preached to, he preached the message, the word that God gave to him. He was a voice. He was a voice. A wordless voice until God put that word in his mouth. We get ourselves around the word of God. We do daily, weekly. We make this a big deal. God, speak to me. Show me all the ways I'm just, I'm hiding and I'm playing around and I'm goofing around and I'm just living enslaved and and show me so I can turn and turn away and turn to you and experience life as it was always meant to be lived. And so we want the word of God. We have to remember who we are in Christ. We listen to the word of God. And then we, we thank God. We thank God that in Christ we can stand before him blameless in our status before him and say, Father, thank you that my sin has been wiped away in Christ, that my status is righteous and forgiven, but I want intimacy with you. I want closeness. And so forgive my sin and change me. And he will. What a gift. What a gift this gospel is. What a, what a beautiful thing. That God in his grace would move towards us in Christ. And make salvation not just possible but certain. And then invite us for the rest of our lives to repent. To keep turning away from what is wrong and keep turning to the living God who is beyond compare. This morning, some of you have come into this room and you know that you're not a Christian. You know that you have not responded to the word of God. You know that. We're so glad you're here and we're so glad you're journeying and we're in really no hurry here, as you probably have seen. We, we want God to walk 
at his pace with you. But part of that is calling you to repentance. Part of that is calling you to turn away from your sin and the foolishness of your sin and to turn to the living God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. What about today you take that step towards Christ and say, I believe, I repent, I'm changing my mind. And for those of you who've been following Christ, and maybe you're in a season where you've just been not walking close with God, today's a day of salvation for you. Time to repent. Time to repent. Time to take that beautiful gift and access the gospel and let the gospel move you into the beautiful presence of God. It's time. And whether you're in a season or not, one thing is for sure, you and I, for the rest of our lives, need to make repentance the priority. All of life, repentance. That's what it was said in the Reformation. Uh, All of life, repentance. We will never outgrow our need for repentance. But hear this, and I'll end. What a gift it is. What a gift God has given us in repentance to access the gospel, the good news of Christ. Let us be people who access it through repentance and know the joy of forgiveness and the joy of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we adore you for your love and meeting us in the wilderness of our existence. And I want to pray this morning for any in this room who have never repented and who are still on the other side of their sin where they are just living for themselves. And I want them, Father, with all my heart to turn to you. Would you today, by your spirit, move them towards you? That's one thing. Father, on the other hand, I, I, I want with all my heart for the gospel to so permeate the culture of our church and our hearts that we are not afraid to repent, but see it as our birthright in Christ and see it as a door into a big world, that world being you, into a wide open field, into a place of such beauty and delight. Lord, lead us there, we pray. Make us people who repent. Make us people who find you and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.